listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. So please turn your Bibles tonight to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel in the chapter 13. And I suppose tonight I really don't want to expound a particular passage. I want to really share some devotional thoughts the Lord has put in my heart in times of my recent Bible readings. I've been working through Matthew and I noted afresh the impact that unbelief has on the extension of Christ's kingdom. The impact of unbelief on the extension of Christ's kingdom. I think when you speak of those terms, you immediately must summon your Calvinistic convictions to avoid certain errors. There are things that immediately must be said. We do affirm wholeheartedly that none can stay the hand of God or say unto God, What doest thou? We affirm that nothing and no one can prevent a single elect soul ever being saved. Nothing can stop Christ from securing the salvation of all those given to him by the Father. He shall absolutely see the travel of his soul and shall be satisfied. He shall lose none. We affirm those things. And so when I say that unbelief has an impact on the extension of Christ's kingdom, I am not suggesting that the ultimate advance of the kingdom is hanging in peril, hanging in some balance, and it might fall foul of the unbelief of men. I'm not suggesting that for a second. I'm not suggesting that the church of Christ can potentially be ruined due to man's wickedness or man's carnal unbelief. However, we do know that the Lord has chosen to advance his kingdom through faith. Preaching and praying ought to be in faith. God has been pleased to use such means, and those means must be used by faith and in faith. Furthermore, there are two texts in Matthew that explicitly show us the impact of unbelief. And so whilst we do affirm the Reformed faith that the kingdom of Christ shall certainly prosper and come to pass without anyone being lost, we do also acknowledge that there are things that are taught in the Word of God that reveal to us the impact of unbelief. You look at Matthew chapter 13 here, Matthew 13, and the verse number 58, where it says, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. There's an explicit statement that affirms that unbelief has an impact upon the work of Christ in his kingdom. You turn over to Matthew chapter 17, and you'll see another example here, Matthew 17, verse number 20. In light of the disciples' question, why could not we cast them out? The Lord says, Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. Their unbelief had an impact upon the progress of the kingdom in the casting out of that evil spirit. And so we do see that in the scriptures here in Matthew's gospel, there are portions that show us the impact that unbelief has in the progress of Christ's kingdom. And so I want to look at those two portions together tonight briefly. I suppose look at them alongside the 
prayer expressed in the hymn, Be Gone Unbelief. I know that hymn dealing with a different issue, but surely it is the burden of the heart of every person, part of the church of Christ. We want to say, Be Gone Unbelief. We know what an evil unbelief is within our souls. And so let's look at these two portions. First of all, noting unbelief in the community. Unbelief in the community. Matthew 13, let's read from the verse number 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. And Jesus said unto them, uh, But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. We're seeing here a description of unbelief. Unbelief in the Lord's hometown, his home area. And as we look at this matter of their unbelief, note, first of all, the core issue. The core issue of their unbelief. Verse 57, it says, They were offended in him. And that word offended is the word that has the thought of stumbling attached to it. They tripped and they stumbled over the person of Christ. The same word is used for the stumbling block that's referred to in 1 Peter chapter 2, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even them which stumble at the word being disobedient. So stumbling at the word is the, same, is the same as being disobedient to the gospel, hearing the gospel called to repent and believe, but realizing that you cannot accept Christ, you stumble over Christ to your destruction. You see, this people, they could not deny the wisdom of Christ or the works of Christ. Look at verse 54. Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? They had heard his wisdom, and they had likely heard about his wonders. Now, there are some interesting studies regarding the chronology and the timing of this event in Matthew chapter 13. It is possible that this time in the synagogue, verse 54, is the time described in Luke chapter 4, where he expounds the scriptures in Isaiah and says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. So it may well be this is the same event as that, where the people of God, or the people, sorry, in the synagogue, are hearing Christ himself in his wisdom, explaining the scriptures regarding himself. If that's the case, then the Lord has already conducted a ministry in the Galilee region, and he's performed these miracles, these wonders, these mighty works. So they've heard his teaching, they have heard about his works, and they themselves, they've, they've seen him grow in their midst. They've seen his sinlessness, they've seen his integrity, his character, and they come to the conclusion, this cannot be possible. There's something amiss here. How can this man do all these things and say all these things? Is he not the carpenter's son? Verse 55. They cannot accept the humility of Christ in his humanity. 
They cannot accept that one capable of such things could be a simple man born amongst them whose brothers supposedly and sisters are in their midst. And so they stumble upon the person of Christ. It's been well said, what think ye of Christ is the test. The true man, raised in humility and simplicity, yet marked by authority working in deity, there is a challenge in believing uh, that such a, a person was really walking in this world. We stumble upon Christ. And the same, of course, is true today. These people were greatly privileged. Sabbath keepers, synagogue goers, hearers, observers of Christ himself, and yet unbelief. Despite the clear grounds for faith, their unbelief prevails. It's not difficult to see the parallels with today. Oh, I know this nation has gone down such an ungodly pathway, and yet at the same point there are many who have been raised in the gospel and heard the gospel, and yet they will not believe in the true Christ. They have a Christ in their imagination, they have some other form of Christ in their hearts, but not the true Christ of the Scriptures. And yet, if we're thinking about the unbelief in this area, in this time in Nazareth, we should also accept the fact that unbelief actually in our area is even deeper. These people were believers in the one God. They believed in the authority of the Bible. They believed in the importance of meeting together to worship God. They, they believed so many of these things that, that, again, have been left abandoned in our society. Heresies abound. Atheism and evolutionary materialism all around us with the obvious result of degrading moral compromise. That's the day we live in, which you could say uh, perhaps even exceeds the days of Christ in terms of unbelief. And so if the core issue is their unbelief and the core issue of their unbelief is rejecting Christ, then we should want to know what is the consequence of their unbelief. The core, rejecting Christ, the consequence, well, verse number 58, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. If you turn across to Mark chapter 6, you'll see how Mark expands upon this. Mark gives us really some very emphatic descriptions regarding this time. Mark chapter 6 and the verse number 5. And he, listen to this, and he could there do no mighty work. Now, that's a stark statement. It's a statement the Lord was not able. I'm going to qualify that very soon. He could not do mighty works save that he laid his hand upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Christ, we can say, is hindered in doing his mighty works at this time. Not by lack of power but a lack of faith in those amongst whom he is laboring. How are we to understand this? Well, I suggest to you perhaps we're not able to. We are simply to take the text as what the text says. The Lord undoubtedly had the ability to overrule the unbelief of those around him. But in his own sovereign purpose, in the purpose of the Father, the Father chose to hide these things from those in Nazareth and reveal them to others. But in terms of human responsibility, it clearly says the Lord could there do no mighty work. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And so what happened next? 
Well, we're told in Mark chapter 6, he went round about the villages teaching. He went elsewhere. He's going to tell the disciples later on to do the same, where they are not received and where they have found the gospel rejected. They are to leave and they are to shake the dust off their feet. Unbelief has profound consequence in the extension of Christ's kingdom. So we find ourselves today confronted with small churches and struggling ministries. And I tell you the truth, we are very quick to look to our feelings and our faults. What have we done wrong? Where did we go wrong? And yes, I think we should consider those possibilities. If we are guilty of sin, sin in the camp, we've got to deal with that. If there are areas in which we have failed the Lord, we must repent and go forward in reformation against those things. But at the same point, we should not forget the principle that when people reject the preaching of the gospel, there can be a removal of gospel privilege. And when the true gospel is preached in an area, and the area reject the gospel, then oftentimes there is a removal of that gospel privilege. It's a fearful principle, yet it's true. Churches that are shining for Christ Jesus, and yet the people around them consistently reject the gospel, well, those areas can see the gospel witness being removed. J.C. Ryle, in his comments in Mark chapter 6, says this, Unbelief has a power to rob men of the highest blessings. So what's our response? Be gone, unbelief. Our response in our own area and the areas in which we labor is to pray for the Spirit of God to fall afresh upon the region, to turn people from darkness to light, from unbelief to faith, because only the Spirit of God can cause people to have faith in Christ Jesus. And if if unbelief is hindering the progress of the gospel, only the Spirit can bring faith to pass. So we must pray, be gone, unbelief. Send your Spirit upon your work for the glory and honor of your name. What a thing it is to unbelief in the church and outside the church. Secondly, having noticed unbelief in the community, please note unbelief in the church. And that's found in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. The story is is well known. The Lord has been on the Mount of Transfiguration with the inner circle of three. And he returns to this tumultuous scene A suffering boy who is unable to cure himself, a broken-hearted father, unable to cure his son, confused disciples, unable to rescue this boy from the demon. Verse 19 implies that they should have been able. They ask the question, why could not we cast him out? (coughs) Suggests that you or I would not ask that question. We wouldn't be surprised at our inability to cast out the demon. We wouldn't be wondering, why can't we do it? And the reason they asked the question is because Christ had given them the power to do so. Over in Matthew chapter 10, we see, we read about the sending forth of the disciples, the twelve apostles are sent out. Matthew 10, verse number 1, And when he called his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out. And so understandably, they asked the question, why couldn't we? What's the problem? And here the Lord's explanation explains that they could have been able if they had used appropriate means. Verse 21, Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. In other words, this kind does go out, 
In the days and ages of, of the disciples here, the demons are cast out by the use of the means of prayer and fasting. They had forgotten to use the appropriate means. The means themselves, which would remind them that the ability was not in themselves. It's not that they had some power in their own souls to perform this task. The ability was all in the Lord. And they, if you like, they accessed the power that came from Christ by the means of prayer and fasting. And we do the same. Fasting is a humbling of ourselves and afflicting of ourselves, demonstrating our sins and our worthlessness before the Lord. And prayer, in turn, coming with fasting, brings our petitions to the Lord. Prayer and fasting recognizes that in of ourselves we can do nothing, but these are the means that God has given us whereby we can lay hold upon the power of God and see the kingdom progress. It is possible to do things for the kingdom, but unbelief is a hindrance to the progress of the gospel. Again, I've given you all the caveats, all the qualifications. Unbelief in the community and unbelief in the church is a hindrance to the progress of the gospel. The reference to moving mountains in verse number 20, again, has to be properly understood. But you have the reference there, verse 20, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. So using the appropriate means, they will see mountains cast into the sea. What does that mean? Well, it is a metaphor, it's a figure of speech, and I believe it's drawn from the language of Zechariah chapter 4. Turn back in your Bible, just two books in your Bible to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 4, the verse number 6. You know this portion dealing with the olive trees and the Spirit of God. Verse number 6, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstones thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. The reference, of course, thinking of terms of the return from captivity, the references to the building of the temple through the work of Zerubbabel in returning captives. And the point is that those obstacles to that building will be overcome not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God that enables mountains to become plains. And the Lord tells here in Matthew chapter 17 that mountains are removed through the means of prayer and fasting. That's how these things happen. That's how progress is made in the kingdom. And so the picture, the metaphor of mountains being removed is to show us what prayer can accomplish when prayer is in faith. Even faith that is small as a grain of mustard seeds. It's not about us trying to have great faith and then praying great prayers. It's having genuine faith in a great God. That's what turns mountains into a plain. That's what caused the gospel to progress. And so unbelief in the church is seen in a church that refuses to pray or in a church that will not pray in faith. Ritualistic praying, praying is simply going through the motions and the routines, Without holding upon God is prayer in unbelief that hinders the progress in the kingdom. How many 
mountains are in our paths. How many times does a preacher go to the pulpit and say it's impossible for the gospel to progress? It's impossible for any soul to be saved tonight. We just, we just feel the, the weight of unbelief. We pray that the word would have free course. In other words, it would run without obstacles. But all we see are mountains all around in front of the word. I mean, the word's never going to advance. Let's be honest, we feel that way sometimes. And so what is our response? Be gone, unbelief. We want to pray in faith because praying in faith sees progress in the kingdom. Oh, I know this is a particular time of a particular child with a particular demon. There's, there's, there's a, a unique situation here. But the general principle, again, is the gospel progresses when people pray in faith, Amen. holding upon the Lord, depending upon God. You see, don't we believe the truth that without faith it's impossible to please God? But he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So I go back to where I started. Can anybody or anything prevent the kingdom being accomplished in Christ's name? Absolutely not. Can the Satan or self prevent some soul given to the Son by the Father, prevent that soul getting to Christ? Absolutely not. We believe in the sovereignty of God to accomplish his good purposes for the glory of his name. But we believe those things without at any time denying the reality of the impact of unbelief in the church of Christ. We must never be complacent with an unbelieving spirit. We must always desire to drive unbelief out, to be in the Word of God, to have our souls nourished in the Word, and then by the Spirit of God holding fast upon God in prayer. Be gone, unbelief. May that be our joy and our experience in our homes and in our churches for the glory and honor of Christ's name and the extension of his kingdom. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.